picked any number of scriptures today, so I just kind of went with one of my my favorites on um, what not only the the way of God, but just the the what I would call God's politics or the politics of compassion. And this is from uh, Micah six eight. <clears throat> and what does the what does the Lord <clears throat> require of us, but to do justice, to love kindness. And to walk humbly with our God. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. And um, in my writing this week, I said if, if we move beyond a, a thin reading of those words and really take some time to ponder them and ask, what does this require of us? And, and I always add with justice that justice is restorative. And, and think about what does that look like in our day-to-day -day lives? And as we ask that question, it's going to move us into the um, arena of, of politics. And raise your hand. I'll raise my hand right away. If you've always been told there's no place for politics in the church. <laughs> Has anyone ever heard that? <laughs> yeah, I think we all have. Um, <clears throat> but um, if we love our neighbor and we love our enemies, if we forgive one another, if we believe that no one's beyond God's redemption, um, then we're going to be moving into the, the, the arena of politics. But we're doing it from the, um, while being rooted in, in faith and God's grace. So it's very, very different. And then I wanted to read a, a passage from Luke. <clears throat> um, we sometimes have I what I'd call an unfair stereotype of Jesus as this very nice and gentle person, and he was, but he was very, very political, very political. But his, again, he was anchored in that relationship with his father or with God, anchored in, in the love and the, in the compassion. So quite a lot of people will call his politics just the politics of compassion. And these are, this is his very first sermon in the Gospel of Luke. And he's in a uh, synagogue and he goes up and he, they hand him a, a scroll and he's opened up uh, to Isaiah. And here's the words that he writes. And he's very, he didn't just like randomly pick this passage, but he's very intentional about this is important about how we live life. And it's very important about this kingdom coming here on earth. And so this is what Jesus read. <clears throat> The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And just think about that. And we're going to take some time to meditate on this. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolls up the scroll and says, basically, this is done. This is going to happen. And so as we take some time, <clears throat> just to reflect on one small part of this passage, he has called me to bring good news to the poor. I just want us to take some time to pray and to reflect on this. Ask yourself the question, where we are right now at this point in history, what would be good news to the poor? And just allow your imagination 
to run free. And this is why the, the marginalized and the poor and the neglected, <clears throat> they just flocked to Jesus like crazy because he was bringing good news to them, giving them life and life in abundance. So what would some really concrete, visible actions look like as far as good news to the poor? Let us pray and um, reflect on that. Let us pray. And Dana, if you could help me um, find some, I think you're a co-host as well, Anna. Um, what would be, if we were proclaiming good news for the poor, <clears throat> what would that look like? What are... And I've been thinking about this a, a lot because it, it's, it seems like wherever I go around town or, or, or talking to some of you and everyone has this thing that where we have these political issues, but... Um, we don't know how to talk about them. Or we maybe think that, oh, if I have, if I believe in God, then my faith is separate from my politics. And, and that you really cannot separate our faith and politics. They're, they're just one in the same. And we can see this with uh, Jesus. We can see it with Dorothy Day or Mother Teresa. Uh, our faith, the, the struggle is that we haven't made our faith more a part of our, our politics. And but it's from a different place, from a different foundation, the love and the grace. And on Wednesday, uh, uh, our daughter's old school, Hastings College, um, they invited me to, uh, they had a, they call it a, I don't know, a, a lecture series. And their theme was breaking barriers. And so they invited me to speak uh, to a group of students there. And their theme was breaking, yeah, breaking barriers, as I mentioned. And uh, so they wanted me to talk about how we became a sanctuary church, why we are a sanctuary church, and what all that involved. And so I, I told them, you know, our story, part of our story, I should say. And then they had a, a question and answer time afterward. And the very first question was on this issue of faith and politics. And, and a student there named Pedro, he said, how can evangelical Christians support our current president's policies and his actions. As people of faith, how can they support those actions and those policies? And specifically, he was talking about like the separation of children at the border, his uh, disrespect or for women, uh, for, for con condoning violence and, and, and endorsing white supremacist groups. How can they do that as a person of faith, a large group? And my response to, I gave him a rather lengthy answer, but <laughs> I was like, I've been thinking that, about that for a long time. And regardless of what happens on November the 3rd, we'll be able to ask that question of whoever's in office. Regardless of who's going to be in that office, we can ask that very same question of whoever happens to be in office, with the policies and actions they have, how can they claim to be a person of faith? And what do we do? And does our faith, does our understanding of Jesus and God, does our faith shape our politics, the way we see the world? Does our faith shape the way our, our tax system? Does our faith shape our immigration policy? Does our, our faith shape uh, the, the penal system that we have in our, our country? 
And as people of faith, it should shape every aspect of our life. So does our, our faith shape our policies and our politics, or do our politics shape our faith? There's an expression, we are created in God's image, and we return the favor and we make God in our image. So God isn't really God. We just make God to look like us and think like us. And I can certainly see this, you know, with the, the simultaneous rallies that are happening in Cortez. And, and the Patriot group, uh, I've only gone to one of them, but they'll have the American flag in one hand. And some of them will have the Confederate flag in the other. And they hold those flags while they pray to God. And you have to ask yourself, what, what part of the Confederacy would Jesus embrace? They have no problem with saying we are Christian and holding their Confederate flag. Would Jesus embrace slavery? Would he say, oh, it's just a certain time and place? Would he embrace white supremacy? Because that is what that flag represents. And they have absolutely no problem saying I'm a Christian and embracing what that Confederate flag represents at the same time. And so we have to question, why are we silent in our faith? Why don't we speak in a humble way, but in a, in a gracious way about those values and beliefs in the way of life that Christ lived? Richard Rohr says the, the right idolizes anything that preserves its own privilege or its own status quo. The right preserves anything that preserves its own privilege or status quo. That's what the Confederate flag is about. It's maintaining the status quo. It's maintaining white supremacy. And then... Richard Rohr says, and liberals do not rely on any collective or spiritual foundation. He said their God is often about individual freedom and choice, and it's not about love and action. And liberals tend to be self-righteous. Liberals are going to enlighten us <laughs> and share the truth. And they just know a little bit more than everybody else. And so he's arguing that either neither the left nor the right are really embracing that third way of Jesus or, or Christ. In both groups, the left and the right, avoid love in different ways. They're both avoiding loving the neighbor. Neither one of them love their enemies. And so we're deceiving ourselves if, if we think everything's going to change because no one's going to fully embrace that way of Christ. The Reverend Mark Fieldmeyer, and he, uh, <clears throat> he is a minister in, in Denver. He's a United Methodist minister. And he wrote a book called A House Divided, uh, Politics of Compassion which is simply the politics of Jesus. And I heard him speak the other day on, on a Zoom call. And, uh, and I'm going to try to summarize, but he said in the 1930s, 
the church in Germany, and Germany was the most intellectual advanced country in the world by many accounts. But he said the church in Germany in the 1930s was largely silent as Hitler rose to power in that fascism. And this group of theologians, they were asking themselves, how could the church remain silent? In the midst of all these policies and all this hatred and, and all these cruel actions, how can the church remain silent? <clears throat> and the answer they came up with is that the church, and it's not just the church, it's our society in general as well. The church practiced what they called a dangerous dualism. A dangerous dualism. Things were black or white or right or wrong. And we have a tendency to, to separate things into neat little boxes. Like we separate the flesh from the soul. What is good and what is bad? What are we told all the time? The soul is good <clears throat> and the flesh is bad. I don't know about you, but I get tired of people telling me, especially people of faith, telling me how bad my flesh is or how bad my body is. I, I think all of our bodies are beautiful and wonderful. Why do we have to condemn the flesh? Is the flesh always bad? We, we separate the flesh from the soul. We separate heaven from hell. We separate eternal life from this life that we're living right here on earth. And so we also separate our faith from our politics. And this was what happened, part of what happened in Germany. What they did on Sunday morning did not affect what was going on day to day in their country. And so they excused themselves from the political arena. And as we know, the results were disastrous. And it happened, if we happen to get a little self-righteous there, <laughs> We excuse the church largely excused themselves for many, many years from the slavery issue. We excused ourselves from segregation. And people of faith went to church and they practiced their faith for one hour on Sunday morning. And it didn't transfer to a way of life. It didn't transfer to their politics. I have a really good friend from college who I, uh, I really like a lot. And we were talking about this one time and he said, well, Craig, he said, love and forgiveness can work out sometimes with our own families, but it doesn't work in the real world. <laughs> All these things Jesus is talking about is just about individual piety or individual grace and, and families learning to forgive one another, but it doesn't work in the world. And I completely disagree with that. I would say it's the only thing that does work practicing compassion and forgiveness and kindness and seeing the value and the dignity of all people and all races. And we look at the, the peaceful rev revolution in South Africa with apartheid and we can see, and they have a long ways to go, we can see what grace and forgiveness can do. Revolutions in our own country with the civil rights movement of taking seriously Jesus's commitment to nonviolence and peace and loving the enemies, how it can truly change lives in the world. Do the values of Jesus, of God, and the spirit, do they apply to our world as individuals, 
but also as a whole society? And are we questioning and challenging our politicians on the left and the right to fully embrace what Jesus represented? That kingdom he was promising was coming here on earth. And so what does the Lord require of us? What does it mean to follow Jesus in action? Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. Reverend Phil Mayer, he says, Jesus's first sermon in Luke 4, one I just read, he said, it's a very compassionate sermon and it's also loaded politically. And we, we talked a little bit about this. So he says, release the captives. What in the world could he be talking about? <laughs> release the captives. I think he might be talking about prison reform, our penal system, moving away from punitive justice to restorative justice where people are made well, that shame is released and, and they are set free, that no one's beyond God's redemption. He talks about recovery of sight to the blind. What could that possibly be? Healthcare. Everyone can have adequate health care and affordable health care. Everything he says is a political hot button issue. And there's a reason he picked this passage. And then he talks about a year of Jubilee, which was a, a year where all the debts are forgiven. He's talking about economic justice and reform truly rewriting that tax code from the bottom up, looking at how, at how we distribute our wealth. He's talking about economic justice. And that's a radical change, radical love. As I mentioned earlier, Richard Orr says, every law and every policy we write should be written with one question in mind. How will this affect the poor and marginalized people of our world? It's a radical departure. And it's rooted in faith, but it's a in, and politics. But the politics we practice, that Jesus practiced, it was a politic of compassion for all life. And it was a call to redistribute the wealth. We've often heard the expression, there, there's more than enough for everybody's needs, but there is not enough for everybody's greed. Our faith is a total commitment to abundant life. Jesus says, I came that you may have life and have it in abundance. This includes health care and education and climate change. Everything is on the table as far as how we live our faith out in real life here. And when faith is silent, we all suffer. All of us suffer. And we could look at Germany in the 1930s. We can look at our country uh, from its inception in the 1940s and 50s and 60s when we started addressing, I shouldn't say we started, but there was, it came more to a head the racial segregation. 
why would we ever separate our faith from our politics? But we do so in a humble way, addressing these ills of our society. And we do so through the lens of God's grace, knowing that no one is beyond redemption. And that's why Jesus says, love your enemies, because no one's beyond redemption and having their hearts and their minds changed. And as we have this little discussion, even here today, it's uh, Jim Wallace said, it's really important for us to remember that God is not a Democrat and God is not a Republican. God is something altogether different. And regardless of what happens on November 3rd, I can guarantee you, we will have work to do as far as whoever that person is addressing issues that affect all of us in our country. And especially disproportionately our policies, which hold down the poor and the marginalized. And we need to question that and seek change. And Jesus lived and he preached that politics of compassion throughout his life. Even in death, he had compassion. And he's asking for forgiveness. He says, bring me the children, turn the other cheek, care and feed for the poor. And he questioned the status quo. And Coco mentioned King earlier, uh, you know, when she was playing that song. As far as a, a, a minister and a politician, he modeled Jesus's politics of grace and love, not only for some people, but for all people. Wallace said King had a, a Bible in one hand and the Constitution in the other. And he persuaded people. He didn't just pronounce things. He persuaded people in a very strong, but also a very humble way. And he loved his enemies. He said, you can beat us. You can kick us. You can lock us in jail. You can even kill us but we will continue to love us. I don't hear anyone proclaiming that message. No matter what you do, we will continue to love you because you are God's child and all of us can be redeemed. All of us can be transformed. And King, more so than any of these uh, heroes that we have in our country, he brought religion into the public life and he brought it into life in a way that was always welcoming, inclusive, and inviting. And our faith should inform not only how we raise our children and our families, but how we do our work every day. And it should certainly inform our politics. And those are not the politics of the Republican or the Democratic Party. It's something much different. And I wanted to read a, a little bit about Jim Wallace. He wrote a book. I just haven't read it all. It's called, um, I can show you here, um, God's Politics, A New Vision for Faith and Politics in America. And his other subtitle is Why the Right Gets It Wrong and the Left Does Not Get It. And so he's talking about this, the politics of faith, of compassion. And he wrote this book in 2005, which I think is really important for us to remember. <laughs> and he says, we mean Christians 
We will measure the candidates by whether they enhance human life, human dignity, and human rights, whether they strengthen family life and protect children, whether they promote racial reconciliation and support gender equality. We will measure the candidates by whether they serve peace and social justice. Do the candidates budget and tax policies reward the rich or do those policies show compassion for poor families? And that's right out of Matthew 25. Do the candidates policies protect the creation or serve corporate interests that damage our earth? This is Genesis 2 in Psalm 24. Do the candidates, and again, he wrote this in 2005. Do the candidates position on capital punishment and weapons of mass destruction and pandemics obey the biblical injunction to choose life? And that's right out of Deuteronomy 30, verse 10. And so these are questions we need to ask not only our candidates, but ourselves as well. And my prayer for all of us here today is that our faith is more than what we do for an hour on Sunday morning, but it's a, a way of life, a way of being in the world. And my prayer for all of us is that we may do restorative justice, <clears throat> that we may love kindness, and, may, and that we may walk humbly with God in one another. Amen.